the idea historically is that they would serve fermented wine at weddings and that Mm -hmm. Jewish weddings go on for several days. So you have this idea that they have been drinking and they have been drinking for quite a while. Jesus would not cause anybody to stumble. And so if he is creating an alcoholic beverage at an event where people are already drunk, how can you reconcile that with the reality that getting drunk is considered a sin and that he would not support that and he would also be perfect and not cause anybody to stumble? Welcome to the Conscious Christian Conversations podcast. I'm Tanya. And I'm Kyleen. We are two spunky Christians with diverse backgrounds and life experiences who want to encourage each other and you listening to challenge your subconscious beliefs. Each episode, the two of us will be having a conversation around a specific topic that we may or may not have different perspectives on. If you haven't already, please listen to episode one to learn what we are all about. Without further ado, here is today's episode. Welcome everyone to another episode of Conscious Christian Conversations with Tanya and Kyleen. Today, we are going to talk about alcohol. Alcohol. This is a divisive topic among many. I'm sure many of you have had experiences where you go to churches or are familiar with denominations that are teetotalers, like they don't believe in a drop of alcohol for anything. And I'm sure all of you, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to, I'm going to call out the Catholics. I'm sure many of you are friends with Catholics mm. who drink all the time and think nothing of it, right? Stereotype. But um, there's a lot in between that as well. And so there's a lot of debate and discussion in the Christian community of whether alcohol is okay how much alcohol is okay? Is just getting drunk bad? Is alcohol bad? Is it actually good for you? Do you have alcohol in communion? Do you not have alcohol in communion? Like, <laughs> so many questions. Yeah. So that's what we're going to talk about today. So Tanya, I'm curious what your experience has been. I know you have um, a little bit of a history yourself of thinking through your personal use of it. So what mm-hmm. do you think in terms of spiritually and with the church and right and wrong and, you know, what you, what you personally do with it. Uh, I have a history of alcoholism in both sides of my family. And, um, so this was something, and I, I, I never drank, um, in college, but once I turned 21 and was legal, I chose to indulge a few times. And, um, over the years, it just kind of became almost a crutch in some ways. Not that I ever, uh, not that I would have ever considered myself alcohol dependent, but, at the end of, you know, a day at med school, I was like, the first thing I would do when I came home is crack open a bottle of wine and have a bottle or a bottle. Well, sometimes it was a bottle to be honest with you, but, uh, you know, have a glass or two and just to kind of relax from the day. And and that became an everyday habit. Um, until I realized, you know, this isn't good for me or for my health and I should probably stop. And I've had periods of that through my life where it, you know, once or twice a week would turn into one drink every day, which would turn into a couple drinks a day. And then me realizing, okay, this is kind of sneaking up on me again. And, um, in 2021, I had a few drinks for my dad's birthday and, um, just got really sick. It it was a, it was a, a spicy apple cider but I didn't realize the alcohol content was super high. I had two glasses, which I thought was reasonable. And my body did not agree with me on that (laughs) was way too much. And I spent the next two days, very hungover, very sick. Mm -hmm. Um, And it came very clear to me that, you know, this is like when I was praying and God was like, you're done. You can't have a drop of alcohol for six weeks. And I was like, what? 
this was like at the end of summer and I tend to drink more in the summer because we're out on the water and it's just part of what I do. And I was like, I don't want to do that. And he's like, you need to do that. Like, that's not a question. It's like, okay. So I went completely without um, alcohol for the, for the full six weeks. And I mean, I had birthday parties and celebrations and stuff and I, it was really hard, but he got me through it. And, um, and then after that, it was like the, the grip that alcohol had on me was kind of done. Like it was very easy to say no after that. Whereas before it was very hard to say no. And, and then, you know, in my prayers through that, um, you know, he just kind of revealed to me from that point on, I, my job is to pray before I have a drink and, essentially ask his permission. Is it okay for me to drink in this situation? Most of the times he'll say yes, but then there are some times where he's like, no, do you really need that? Or are you just hungry, you know, or whatever. And he'll make me stop. And then there've been a couple of times where I was like, I was just going to ignore what he told me. And I was just going to go do it anyway. And I got a very strong, like, no, it's like, "Ah, okay. And he's like, and he's always very reasonable about it. Like, he'll be like, you can have a drink after you eat dinner with your family if you still feel like you want one. And I was like, okay. So I'd eat dinner and then I'm like, I don't really want one. <laughs> so it's like, he is helping to helping me to kind of control that. And, um, but I still would always feel really guilty whenever I would have a drink because, you know, in the Bible, so many places it says, you know, you shouldn't drink, you should drunkenness is looked down upon, you know, like avoid strong wine and drink and And so when we decided that we were going to do this topic, I really kind of dove into it and um, did did some more praying about, you know, when is it okay? When's it not okay? Is drinking actually a sin? And I think it always comes down to like the heart, right? What are you using it for? Are you using it for, you know, de-stressing at the end of the day? That doesn't appear to be a good reason to use alcohol. Uh, are you using it to, you know, bring your bring your mood up? That's not a good reason to use alcohol. Are you doing it to just enjoy social time with your family or friends, or you're celebrating something? That's an okay to use al- uh, an okay time to use alcohol. So it seems like as I was kind of looking through some of the verses um, per- pertinent to this question, it, it's it's basically what it boiled down to that I saw was if you're just enjoying yourself with your family and friends socially, and that an alcohol is a part of that, that's fine. As long as you don't get drunk on it. And, um, if you're using it to help yourself feel better or to de-stress from the day or something like that, then that is not okay. Because instead of turning to God, you're turning to a, a different substance. And that's essentially what, what I feel like, um, came out of my studies on that. Yeah. As you were talking, I was thinking about that too. The, the, the question of why are you using it? I think that's huge, huge, huge. Yep. Um, as with anything, right? Like we can have, we can do that with food, right? Like food, there's nothing intrinsically evil or wrong about eating. (laughs) Like we have to do it. Right. And there's nothing intrinsically wrong or evil about even having ice cream. Right. It's just, but are you having like a gallon a night because it's numbing your emotions that need to be processed in a different way? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and maybe like there's some trauma or there's some pain or there's some wounding or stress or whatever, that's not being addressed in life. Like we can do that with so many different things, but alcohol is one that people will typically turn to a lot because mm-hmm. of the effect that it has on the brain and the dopamine and, and, um, how it kind of like physically, I don't know if you like, you, you get those sensations of like mm-hmm. physically numbing out. Right. Yeah, so, yeah. um, and, and disconnecting. So that makes a lot of sense. Uh, so for me, I was raised in a teetotaler home, um, for a couple reasons, they had 
very, very deep spiritual convictions about that. And I think through this episode, maybe we can kind of talk about some of the arguments from that side. Mm -hmm. And, uh, also though, my dad had an alcoholic father who left his mother and married another woman and had another family. And there was a lot of alcoholism in his family. And so he really truly throughout his life only saw alcohol lead to bad things. And so he was very, very convicted, not only on a personal level, but also spiritually, he was just like, this is not, it's not good. It doesn't lead to anything good. I will never have it. And to this day, other than unless it's been in, you know, cold medicine or, or vanilla, you know, uh, I want to say frosting. That's not, it. uh, uh, what's the word? Vanilla extract. extract. Thank you. Yes. I was like, frosting uh-huh. is not it. I think <laughs> it's not it. Um, although that does sound good. Um, vanilla extract, you know, he, he has not consciously ever taken a sip of alcohol ever in his life. And he's like six, 69 years old. Uh, so he's been very convicted with that. That's how I was raised to the point where in high school, I actually wrote a paper about why Christians should avoid alcohol. So I actually like knew all the reasoning behind it and the spiritual uh, reasoning behind it. it was so funny because the paper uh, I think was very well written. And so I got an A on it, but instead of just giving me an A, there was basically a little comment from the teacher that was basically telling me that the paper was great and it was well-written, but I didn't convince her. I'm like, was that necessary? You could have just said good job. But anyway, (laughs) I didn't convince them. So fast forward, I am a good Christian girl who does not drink up through, I think about 24 years old. At that point, I had gotten divorced and had been through some things and I think it was like, no, I think maybe I was a little younger than that, but early twenties, early twenties, it was a long time. I didn't drink in high school or anything like that. Uh, I was at my sister and brother-in-law's house and my brother-in-law hands me a Mike's hard lemonade. I drank it. And then I don't know why, like in that moment I had waited, like I had not done this like my whole life. Right. And then I drank it or actually I took a sip of it and I was like, dude, it tastes like juice. (laughs) That's that's not fair. So then having... (laughs) no concept of what this meant. I drank two of them in like 20 minutes, two and a half of them in like 20 minutes, something like that. I am for people who don't know me, a fairly small person. And I am a very, very, and I mean, very, very lightweight. I always have been, and I always will be. And of course the first time I drank alcohol, I had no idea. So just drinking this, you know, sparkling lemonade and, uh, I start to get really tipsy, you know, and it's funny, you know how you had those phones that were, um, they were, they were sort of like blackberries, but they had like the screen and they had the, so I would carry my phone around and it had the little, um, the option, the setting. So when somebody texted you, it would tell you, it would like verbalize, like you have Mm. a text or so-and-so texted you or whatever. And I would often carry it in my back pocket. And so I was getting tipsy. My brother-in-law was going to go to the grocery store and I was like, Hey, I'll go with you. And he's like, okay. So by the time I get to the grocery store, I'm very drunk and I'm like wobbling around. Right. I go to the bathroom. I come back out my, my phone. I had gotten a text message. (laughs) I come out and I tell my brother-in-law, I'm like the man in my butt says, (laughs) (laughs) so we're wandering around this grocery store. Right. He's like, Kylie, you have to stay still. Like we're going to get in trouble. (laughs) So then we're on our way back. I decide that this would be a great time to try to contact my ex-boyfriend. <laughs> oh dear. Oh no. <laughs> but you know, 
sober me had deleted him out of my phone. How, whoever, how long ago. So I, I was trying to remember his phone number. So I'm like holding my phone up in the air. I'm trying to remember the exact combination of digits, right? I'm getting fairly close. So I called a bunch of people. They, it wasn't the right. I don't know if I was going to voicemail or they weren't picking up or whatever, but it was obviously like I was missing like a digit or something somehow, like I keep doing this for a significant period of time. We get back and I think, I don't know if Erin told my sister like what I was trying to do or if she just figured it out, but she basically, she hands me in my tipsiness. She gives me his phone number or tells me what it is or whatever. So anyway, I end up calling him. No, nothing comes of it, right? I sleep it off the next morning. I'm like, oh my gosh, I get a text from one of the people that I had called or, or texted or messaged or whatever I was doing the night before trying to contact my ex-boyfriend. And, uh, he, he starts having a conversation with me and I reply and I'm like, Hey, I'm really sorry. I was drunk. I was trying to reach my, my ex-boyfriend. We have this whole conversation 30 minutes into it. I'm thinking he's just a good sport, right? I'm like, Oh, he thinks this is funny. Some chick reached out and she was a little tipsy. Ha ha ha. We're having this funny little dialogue. Then I realized, no, no, that is my ex-boyfriend. And we were having a full on conversation. <laughs> But you know, it worked out because we ended up getting on the phone and having like a three hour closure conversation. So it was fine, but that was my first, that was my first experience with alcohol. So, um, then as I sort of progressed through life, I just, you know, I kind of figured out I was a lightweight and, um, alcohol doesn't do really well with me. I don't really feel great on it. And, Mm -hmm. um, I have enough other health struggles. So I, I drink it very, very, very rarely. Um, and I, I usually don't have a whole lot of it. But I've also kind of come to the, I guess, belief, you would say, that I don't think it is something that is intrinsically wrong. I think kind of what you're talking about in the beginning, it, it depends a lot on why you use it, how you use it. I, I do think social situations are the primary method of it being any version of healthy or okay, you know, where you're, you're having a, a glass of wine with some friends or mm-hmm. you know, you're out, you know, and, and there's something to that because your body processes things differently. when you are in a situation that feels very safe and very joyful. And, um, I, I think that I, I don't really have an issue with that. Um, if we start finding that we are leaning on it to avoid difficult emotions, I think that that becomes a, another issue completely. Mm-hmm. And then in the Christian community, I do think there's this idea of not causing other people to stumble. So right. you don't know who you don't know who has had a history. You don't know who may really struggle with it. Like on a, like on a genetic basis, right? Like one of the things with my dad, like his dad was an alcoholic and then a lot of people in his family. And he was like, I'm never going to touch this. Right. Like he didn't even want the option to find out that he could be an alcoholic, you know? So, and, and definitely there's places in the Bible that says like, you will not cause other people to stumble and what they believe and are convicted in it's okay for, you know, like you don't have to try to convince them that you can drink alcohol. Like if they want to abstain from it, they absolutely should because that's what they're feeling led to do. Right. And that's one of the, the reasons I kind of feel like I don't really want to be the person that hands someone their first alcoholic beverage yeah. or like says or pressures them in any way or like creates a scenario, you know. Uh, it is interesting kind of on that topic though. We've never tried to demonize it with Keegan. He's our he's our 19 year old son. And he also has demonstrated a lot of like, I'm not really interested in that. I want to like make good decisions in my life, all this kind of stuff. And I thought a comment that he made at our house the last time he was here was really interesting. He goes, I'm just not, I'm not into it. I'm not interested in it. He's like, I kind of, if I, if I 
am going to try it. I kind of want to try it here with you guys. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's like, to me, that is so healthy, right? I, if I'm going to try it, I want it to be in a safe place with safe people Mm -hmm. in a reasonable way. Right. And, and there's a little bit of thought behind that there. And, uh, I think we could even compare alcohol to sexuality in the Christian community, where I think when something is so demonized, there is the potential with some people to then view it in a very unhealthy way when it's not necessarily intrinsically unhealthy. And so we can like create more problems sometimes the way we talk about it than, um, than not. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, and if you think about how it's made, like it's a natural process, right? The fermentation process, God made it this way. And and even back in Genesis, I'll read our first of the biblical uh, scriptures here, but Genesis 27, 28, um, now may God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and an abundance of grain and new wine. Uh, there's a Proverbs three, nine through 10, honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. And, you know, then, then there was another one, Joel three eighteen. the mountains, uh, and in that day, talking about the end of time, essentially, the mountains will drip with sweet wine and the hills will flow with milk. And so, you know, it, it's very clearly something that he intended as a gift for us. And this is not something that is inherently evil. Like he is talking about in the, the end times in the new heaven, like we get to enjoy wine, but you know, then we'll read, we'll talk, I'll, we'll talk a little bit more about, you know, when it's not okay. And, and some of the verses that support, you know, where we have to be careful and, and what we're using it for. But, you know, I definitely do think like, it's something that he wants us to, to eat and be merry with our friends and family. And, um, and, and this is, I think a gift from him that he's given people that don't want to even get involved. Like, I think there's so much bad that happens from people who do become drunk. You know, you think about all the people that have died in drunk driving accidents, you know, all of the lives that have potentially been destroyed with, uh, with, you know, either the death of a loved one or alcoholism or whatever it is. So there is definitely very um, strong potential for evil with it. And so I, like, I totally, I have a friend who's just like your dad, who she's now, I think in her late forties and she's never had a drop of alcohol because she alcoholism ran in her family. And she's like, I'm not even interested in even exploring it. And, you know, I completely have respected that from the very beginning. And, um, I still respect that. Like, that's amazing that she can just say, no, thank you. And doesn't even want to try it. So I think it's important to allow people to have that space to, you know, if that's how they're convicted, we absolutely should not be trying to tempt them into something that, you know, God is clearly bringing them to. Yeah. I also think when you're you're talking about um, evil that can come from it, I think the driving is such a good example of that. But um, I also think there's this misperception of alcohol changing who you are at your core. I don't actually believe that. I think it accentuates maybe issues that you have. And if you're fighting some demons or have some emotional struggles or have some personality things that uh, are maybe you're trying to control or suppress and alcohol might make those come to the surface. So for example, I don't think if you're an angry drunk, I don't think that means you're not an angry person when you're not drunk. I think that just accentuates some stuff that you're dealing with and it's more likely to come out. That is a red flag of like, you have other stuff to deal with. I don't Mm -hmm. necessarily, I don't really agree with the idea of blaming that on alcohol. Well, alcohol turns him into a mean person. No, I think he's a mean person. 
that has some pain and some stuff that he needs to deal with. And alcohol maybe brings that to the surface, but it doesn't create this other personality in you. And I, so you can say that, you know, for the other people, right. You have these really silly, giggly, happy people, That's they're probably pretty chill in real life. And maybe they have, you know, they're pretty silly in real life. And then it's very accentuated, but that like, that's pretty much me. I'm like, yee. <laughs> I'm like, this is a, okay. I'm like happy now. Okay. I'm all relaxed. Right. It just makes me, you know, chill. But, um, but that's kind of my perspective with it is like, you kind of also have to go into it, like knowing who you are, like, is this something that will be okay for you or not? Um, and maybe mm-hmm. that will take one or two experiences for you to figure out, but also just having some self-awareness of like, I'm dealing with a lot right now. Maybe alcohol is not something that I should put on top of that, you know, because it's not, yeah. it's not going to be necessarily very helpful. I, I definitely agree with that. I think there's a reason that we're told that we're not supposed to drink, you know, when we're under stress or when we're lonely, because I think it, it does accentuate some of those, those things, but I, I'm. I, I don't know if I fully agree with um, that it accentuates problems. Maybe I, I'm looking at it from like a biochemistry standpoint. You know, if our if we have kind of a certain neurochemistry, and the way that um, that that alcohol can affect some of those more stimulating and, and and or aggressive neurotransmitters, you know, that can be again more of a genetic thing and how your body is able to process the alcohol and how it's affecting some of those neurotransmitters. And I don't necessarily know that it means, you know, if you are a, a mean drunk, if it necessarily means that you're a mean person. Um, but it might be stimulating. I think if you those... are a mean drunk, you have some deep emotional issues that are unresolved. That's what I'm saying. You may not, you may, it may not see express that it takes... itself when you're not drunk, but I'm, th- I'm saying like, it's lowering your inhibition and making it come to the surface in terms of like, I have issues that are undealt with and it's coming out because my inhibition is lowered with the alcohol, not necessarily that they would behave that way without the alcohol. Mm-hmm. Okay. You see what I'm saying? I can see that with the, with the inhibitions, but like for me, I think, okay, well, when that happens and I'm short tempered, that is the alcohol withdrawal that's happening. It's affecting my neurochemistry rather than, you know, my meanness is coming out because I have un- unresolved issues. And I'm not saying I don't have unresolved issues. Like I'm sure there's still well, stuff in there, but see, that's what I'm saying too. Cause if that's, I'd be like, okay, well, is this thing irritating me? Would it irritate me without alcohol? Yes. But maybe I would control myself. Does it irritate me with alcohol? Yes. And I'm probably going to say something about it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. That's just my, my thought with it. The mm-hmm. other thing when you were kind of talking is, um, with the Bible verses. So just coming from the, um, devil's advocate position, there's two, uh, verses that are both translated wine in the Bible, but they can both also be translated grape juice. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of debate from the teetotaler side of, well, you can't really prove one way or the other because they can both be translated. So it's yayin and oinos. And literally they can both be translated either into fermented or into grape juice. And so that's one of those, do we, what do we do? Like, do we do it by our own conscience? Do we do it by context in the verse? Uh, But what can lead to a lot of confusion is that they are all translated wine, which in English is all the fermented version. Mm-hmm. So there's that argument as well. Well, so, we so what do know. they say? Like at weddings, they would serve grape juice to their guests. Okay. So you want to talk about Jesus and mm-hmm. the miracle of Cana? Let's do it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the idea historically is that they would serve fermented wine at weddings and that mm-hmm. Jewish weddings go on for several days. Mm-hmm. So from the teetotaler perspective, you think, okay, 
they would always serve. And you have this listed in the, in the miracle where they talk about, uh, Jesus serving the, or they asked him, why did you serve the best wine last? Right. Mm -hmm. So you have this idea that they have been drinking and they have been drinking for quite a while. And they're like, why did you bring out the good stuff? So there's a couple of different ways that you can look at this. One is, well, it's the best wine. Why didn't you serve that first? And then as drunk people get drunker, they're not going to care less what it tastes like, right? Uh They're not going to care. Or, um, and this is the teetotaler argument. It's twofold. And that is one that Jesus would not cause anybody to stumble. And so if he is creating an alcoholic beverage at an event where people are already drunk. How can you reconcile that with the reality that getting drunk is considered a sin and that he would not support that. And he would also be perfect and not cause anybody to stumble. So how do you rectify it and like justify that in rhyme? And then the other piece of the argument is that because things were more naturally, more easily fermented because refrigeration wasn't a thing. Grape juice was very valued and it was very special because if it was fresh and it tasted really good, then um, it was less common and considered more valuable. And so he could have been turning it into grape juice and serving it and then being like, this is like a specialty. Like this is really, really good. Why would you save this for last? Um, So you can argue it either way. And the thing that really, because even though I really have come to the conclusion that I don't think it's intrinsically wrong, the one thing that really does hang me up with this miracle is that I don't think that Jesus would cause anybody to stumble. I cannot picture Jesus handing a drunk person more wine to drink. Well, and here's, here's where I kind of think about it is like the way that we ferment things now is completely different. I am, I, I haven't actually looked into the research, but I probably should have looked at that. I didn't think about it, but um, what's, what was the alcohol content back then versus I, what it I is now? I think it was, I actually think it was stronger. I don't know. I don't know if it was, because if you look at new wine, what I just quoted in Genesis and Proverbs, the overflowing with new wine uh, and an abundance of grain and new wine and new wine is going to be lightly fermented. It's not going to have developed a ton of alcohol at that point, in which case it might be. And maybe that's why that, that word, the Greek word is kind of grape juice or wine is because it's that in between where it's slightly fermented, but not super strong, but it's not technically grape juice. I actually think a lot of the alcohol they drink was 11 to 12%. If you look back historically. So I just Googled it to check that. Yeah. (laughs) The strongest alcoholic beverage that was accessible to new Testament authors and their original readers was natural wine that had an alcoholic content of 11 to 12% Mm. before dilution. So that's natural wine. So I think, I don't know if we do it like you were saying, like, I don't know how we would do it differently, but I, that well, we don't, I mean, most head. wine is around anywhere from 12 Five. to 14%. Yeah. Strong. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and that doesn't, you yeah, that, that's an interesting thought. You argue it this mm-hmm. way that they drink more fermented thing, just historically, this is true. Like throughout time, they drink more beers and wines more regularly historically, just because refrigeration wasn't a thing. Mm-hmm. So you could argue that like tolerance level was higher. Clearly it was obviously an issue enough that the Bible has enough references For sure. to getting drunk, right? Even so in the old Testament. Like, right. So it's not, yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. We're in really mm-hmm. negative situations. So mm-hmm. it's obviously not like if they drank, they couldn't get drunk because they were so used to it. Like it's, it's clearly still something that was right. happening in society back then. But what I'm yeah. saying is that like, Nowadays you go to parties and it's like, people keep refilling, refilling, refilling. And pretty soon everybody's drunk versus back then, like 
you know, maybe you have a glass of wine and it lasts you two hours, you know, like the, the drinking habits could potentially have been different so that people weren't getting really drunk, but they were just enjoying a, a good beverage and dancing and, you know, their, their level of activity might be, be different. So they were burning things off more than like, we just sit on a bar stool or whatever and sit and drink, you know what I mean? So yeah. I think there's probably a lot of factors where it's, it, I don't think that Jesus would have led anyone to stumble. And I've actually wondered about that too. It's like, well, if, if drinking wine is a sin, then why did he provide more wine to, you know, to people? And so, I mean, I, I think there's probably some different factors that will go into it, but it would be interesting to, to know, um, but yeah, the etiology of the word is is interesting to to consider that it could potentially yeah, be grape I mean, juice. That goes into a bigger discussion about translations in general. <laughs> yeah, right. I don't particularly love any of them. I I actually think it would be almost better to have um, something that translated full thoughts as opposed to word to word, just because so much has come out that we're realizing now. And so many people are going to be upset that I'm saying this, I'm sure, because people love their word for word translations, but yeah, um, just the idea needs to be communicated. And I think sometimes we get so hung up on the word that we miss the idea and um, that, that becomes a problem, I think in a lot of areas of Christianity. And that's where a lot of the arguments come from. That's mm-hmm. where a lot of the disagreements and the, the breaking of denominations and people, you know, getting abused. And I just think there's a lot of problems with the way that we've gone about it and the way we like latch onto it. It's this word. And it's like, well, it could maybe not mean that. Yeah. (laughs) And, and when we're, when we're people that are reading an English translation, that's a word for word translation. And we don't know the context and we don't know the history and we, we can't pull the full interpretation. We're not studying the Hebrew. We're not studying the Greek. We're not studying the culture of the people. Then um, there's two things there. One, I think it's important to ask questions and, and, and not get bogged down in the details because I think that's where all these disagreements come from. And two, God has made it the important parts clear enough that, that those come through regardless of the word for word. The big picture is very, very clear in the Bible and it always mm-hmm. has been. And that has been very consistent. It's the little things like this that we're talking about, right. like alcohol, that people will just find a hill to die on. And I just feel like so much of that is translation and cultural and misunderstanding different things. And I'm sure if we were in the culture in which it was written and we understood the language and the people that this wouldn't be a thing. Like we'd know exactly what, what the Bible's perspective on it is, but because we're reading it 2000 laters with a word for word English translation, we don't have all that information. We're reading it through Western eyes, thinking in our culture with our language. And it's just different. All right. So let's talk, um, just briefly touch on the fact that, you know, there's multiple places in the Bible that talks about, um, like, for example, I'll read this Leviticus 10, nine, do not drink wine or strong drink, neither you nor your sons with you when you come into the tent of meeting so that you will not die. It is a perpetual statute throughout your generations. Um, and then there's multiple, you know, multiple other ones. Do not look on wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, um, it bites and stings like a viper. That was a proverb. Ephesians 5.18, and do not get drunk with wine for that is dissipation, but be filled with the spirit. So I feel like some of those, you know, obviously drunkenness, not good. Uh, I think that there's no contention there in the Bible about that. Yeah. I think that's like essentially when you, 
lose capacity or, um, it starts impacting your thinking processes. Mm -hmm. So like, um, if you take the idea of pray without ceasing, and then I think we briefly touched on this in maybe another episode before, but the idea of like something that inhibits your connection to God. So if you get right. to a point where you don't feel like you can access that, then that's going to be a problem no matter what that is. Yeah, I totally agree. And I've had that experience before where I've had too many, and then I tried to pray, like, I don't know about whatever. And I just couldn't hear, I couldn't hear him. Like, and that's not normal. Like I can always hear him when I'm praying. And when I couldn't hear him, I was like, oh, this is kind of concerning. Like, yeah. so yeah, I definitely think that there's definitely some barrier that comes up if we have too much and we just can't hear him. Yeah. Um, I think, and I think too, going back to um, the idea of it's not, it's not my job to live my life in the way that um, some for somebody else's conviction. However, there is a respect component. So like bringing yep. it back to my dad, for example, like I do occasionally have a cocktail, but I don't drink in front of him. Mm -hmm. Like I, he knows, like I've had the conversation with my parents to let them know that I drink. Oh my gosh, that was a big whole dramatic experience, but mm. I had gone through cancer and I was like, listen, like it's time they need to know, like, I just can't like, this is stupid. So I had that conversation with them, but like, I also am not like going out to dinner with him and ordering a cocktail in front of him. Right. Like yeah. that's unnecessary and unkind. Right. So I think there's an aspect there of like, but he knows that I drink and I'm not going to like, he comes over to my house. Like there's alcohol here, you know? So, yep. um, but I'm also like, if it's just him and my mom at my house, I'm also not going to be pouring myself a cocktail for dinner when, if it's just them at my house, you know? So, yep. so there's a level there of like, um, I think that is more about the idea of not being a stumbling block. It's not you mm -hmm. not causing somebody else to like have a problem. Although, like I said earlier, I wouldn't necessarily want to be the first person that hands introduced like, hey, yeah. this. Yeah. Um, but I do think there's just a respect component. Like you get to know For people, sure. you have a relationship with people and you're like, oh, like you don't drink. Okay. Well, I will never, ever, ever pressure you on that. I might ask mm -hmm. you like, what's your history with that? So I can get to know you better, but I'm never going to pressure you with that. Right. So I think that's a huge piece too. Yeah, I agree. And, and like to kind of take it in the middle ground, um, my friend that I said that hasn't had a drink and she's in her, you know, late forties, um, she is totally fine with me having a drink around her. Like she doesn't care at all. And so, so I will like, I'll have yeah. a, a beverage and I'll serve her sparkling water or whatever she wants. But, um, so yeah, I, I think that it's just totally an individual thing and I know finding that if I drink in front of my dad, he'd be so depressed. See, there you go. <laughs> like, you know, it would so negatively like affect thing. him. Like, I'm not yeah. going to do it. Yeah. yeah, For yeah. sure. But, yeah, yeah, so yeah. like, yes, but there are people that are like, Hey, I used to be an alcoholic or Hey, I don't. And then they, they li literally don't care. So I do think right. that relational aspect of like knowing. Yeah. And what is and isn't going to be yeah. a problem for them for sure. Yes. And then, um, one last kind of aspect. So I, I mean, I don't really feel like there's much of a conversation about the drunkenness. I think that's fairly clear. And I think we probably both agree on the fact that that is yeah. not good passing out from alcohol. Like nobody thinks that's healthy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, that's just, uh, we don't even need the Bible to tell us that part. And then, um, but then I also found, uh, first Timothy five 23 was pretty interesting, uh, where Paul was telling, uh, him no longer drink water exclusively, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. And so in this situation, like we're seeing the use of wine as medicine, and there are some health benefits to certain types of alcohols for some things like, for example, uh, a shot of clear vodka or gin can actually help to abort a migraine. 
And so that's something that I will share with some of my clients that I think it would, it doesn't help everybody, but with a certain uh, neurochemical pathway, it can actually block some of the receptors that are being triggered. That's triggering the migraine. So by, by blocking that we can actually abort the migraine. And so in those people I'll say, Hey, why don't you try like a half a shot of alcohol, this particular kind and see how, if it helps. And, you know, a lot of times, like they don't even need their trip tan, they'll take a half a shot of whatever it is, and then they're going to be fine. So we can use That's alcohol as medicine. Yeah. Um, and, you know, again, there's some, some research on, you know, resveratrol in wine and how it can be heart healthy with, you know, a certain amount. It's usually like four or six ounces, not a full glass and not multiple glasses. But so we can look at, you know, even in biblically that alcohol is okay to use as, as medicine. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's in what cough syrup and all sorts yeah. of stuff, right? And like, baking. It's, like, it's the base of, yeah. And baking. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Yeah. And the only other thing we didn't really touch on that I did sort of mention briefly in the intro is churches and having alcohol for communion. So, mm -hmm. um, people differ on that. So like what my church does is they just have both. So again, it goes into that conviction, your, your personal, um, conviction on that. And, um, so they offer both wine and grape juice. And so then you have a choice and, yeah. and they, they also have gluten-free wafers. So I love it. <laughs> that's for, that's for my family. <laughs> yeah. So you can, you know, I, yeah, I just think that's a good way to do it because then everybody, depending on where your conviction lies, like, and I mean, even just like, it's smart to have in a church, the option of a non-alcoholic communion mm -hmm. anyway, just because like there may be alcohol, like previous alcoholics in your church. Right. So I think our church just strictly does grape juice. Yeah. Like there's, there's not even a wine option. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think okay. still is the spirit of communion, right? It's just, and now knowing what I know about the Greek original Greek word, like grape juice or wine. So uh, there's technically no, no issue there. <laughs> well, yeah, that's, that's another episode of what you actually think communion is anyway. So <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I mean, but yeah, it doesn't really matter either way, wherever you fall in the spectrum. So that's right. It's not a matter of salvation. Right. Exactly. So I think it's fair to say that a, a couple points we'll just kind of recap one um, that you know, God has given us alcohol and that we enjoy it responsibly in celebration with friends and socially is usually where it seems like it's the most acceptable. Um, two, we don't want to be drinking if it's going to cause a problem for somebody else. So if it's like in the case of your dad and it's going to cause him to be depressed to see you drinking alcohol, probably shouldn't be drinking alcohol in front of him. But if it's somebody else who doesn't really care, like my friend, then great. You can go ahead and enjoy one or two with her if you want. And then three, that um, drunkenness is bad. And four, that we can actually use it as medicine. Like it's something that he's provided us that we can look at it as a medicinal application as well. But I think that the, ultimately it comes down to why are we using it? And in every single reference to, um, to wine or alcohol that I found, it was always in relationship to enjoying life, enjoying the bounty of God, enjoying our friendship, um, eating, drinking, and being merry with our friends and, you know, just a, a heart of thankfulness. Mm -hmm. Never once did it say anything about, you know, if you're having a hard day, go, go pour one back. Like it's always, 
in thankfulness and happiness and joy. And so I think that it's meant to be a gift for us to use in that reason, for that reason. And um, if, if we're using it to kind of self-medicate, we need to be filling ourselves with the spirit rather than with drink. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Our mission on this podcast is to probe topics within the Christian faith to ensure that what we believe is in alignment with scripture and that we understand why we believe what we do. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd love for you to leave a five-star review and share it with a friend. Did this topic challenge your belief? Did we give you a new perspective? Or did it solidify what you already knew to be true? Leave us a comment and tell us your thoughts. We can't wait to hear from you.